0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, General Electric, once dubbed the for-profit arm of the Obama administration for its vigorous pursuit of government subsidies and regulations that would benefit its business, continues its slide from the commanding heights of the American industry uh, on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is removing its stock from the famous index. This is the Influence Watch podcast. The corporate strategy of Jeff Immelt, the politically-connected former CEO of General Electric, focused on campaigning for government regulations and subsidies, which would shift resources from taxpayers and consumers to GE's corporate bottom line. This strategy made Immelt a favorite corporate titan of the Obama White House, but battered GE shareholders. When Immelt resigned in 2017, no company listed on the Dow Jones Industrial Average had done as badly during Imolt's tenure than had his own GE. For a century, the Dow Jones has compiled the stock prices of a group of large national public companies, and GE has been on that list since 1907. But next week, its place will be taken by the parent company of Walgreens Drugstores. Being removed from the Dow is only the latest in a series of financial ignominies to befall the company founded by Thomas Edison, which also launched the second career of an actor turned public policy commentator by the name of Ronald Reagan. Uh, now, Mike, let's we should follow up on that last line there a touch because I think a lot of folks in our, let's put this way, the folks listening in on uh, iTunes and Stitcher may not They've heard of Ronald Reagan, but they probably don't know that Ronald Reagan's greatest rise to prominence was as the uh, spokesman for General Electric for years.
1: Right. From—so in—obviously, kind of everybody knows he was an actor before. He was uh, in—had risen to become president of the Screen Actors Guild. Of course, famously at the time, he was a Democrat, uh, you know, a a Harry Truman anti-communist Democrat— And then in the fifties, he's he was hired by General Electric to do a series of radio commentaries on uh, American an American industry, meaning General Electric. Uh, And it was from that uh, exposure, from from that exposure, and from that involvement that Reagan became. As deeply involved in public policy as he was. Of course, then he goes on to be a spokesman for Goldwater Miller, famously gives the A Time for Choosing speech. At the 1964 Republican convention. Um, and then in 1966, he's running for governor of California, uh, which, you know, spoiler
0: alert, he wins. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then goes on <laughs> shockingly to become president. So the, uh, yeah, I know our colleagues, uh, Dr. Stephen Allen, Uh, has the the precise statistic, but someone calculated back in the 60s uh, when he was going around the country speaking to GE plants all over the country, because obviously it was one of the biggest companies in America, um, something like, I want to say it was something on the order of maybe 30% of Americans either had seen him at one of those things or had a family member that had seen him at one of those things. So building the, you know, that the, the building of the name recognition and the and in, in addition In, in addition,
1: yeah, and in addition to building his name recognition, to building his knowledge and his involvement as, as a commentator. Now, uh, what we get to today is that what Reagan stood for and what today's GE stand for are very different. Yes, uh,
0: yes. Tell <laughs> us some of the last decade or two uh, ignominies of GE's politicking.
1: So in the early 2000s, GE... Uh, appoints a gentleman by the name of Jeff Immelt as its CEO. And Immelt's strategy, as is the strategy of many large public companies, is to use, you know, when you're the CEO of GE, you have a direct line to the federal to the president I I mean, are really to the president of the United States. It doesn't matter whether it's George W. Bush, doesn't matter whether it's Barack Obama, doesn't matter whether it's Donald Trump. Uh, Funnily enough, while you know, while Trump was rising to prominence uh, as the host of The Apprentice, I mean, he was already prominent, but as he was becoming, known more, nat- of a media star. becoming more of a media star known nationally, not just in New York, uh, you know, NBC, NBC, which was the network that, uh, that he was on, that The Apprentice was on, uh, was owned by General Electric. Um, so when you have those kind of connections, you have a direct line to the president of the United States. And what you as the CEO of a major large public company do when you have a direct line to the president of the United States is you get the president of the United States to try to act in your interest. And consistently over the uh, decade and a half that Imelt ran GE, that's what he did. Uh, And we have a couple of illustrative examples uh, of this sort of behavior by General Electric. But that... Sort of, I mean, you call it crony capitalism. You can call it corporatism. You can call it just simply straightforward influence peddling. When you have a direct line to the president, you have a direct line to members, you know, to senior members of Congress, and to um, and to you know prominent people who are being considered for cabinet positions and the like. You take that that ability to talk to somebody, and you use it to wield influence in your interest. And so we can again, we can start as early as 2007. You know, two thousand five to two thousand seven. There's the debate over. This is a you know period of rising energy prices. There's debate over energy efficiency, and the big energy bill comes out in two thousand seven. You might be able to tell, because because that would have been during during your time uh, in the in the W administration, that this big energy bill comes out and part of it has to do with light bulbs.
0: Yes, um, which we should point out uh, is probably the single most iconic Thomas Edison invention connected to General Electric is the light bulb uh, and there was a fight over light bulbs you know I talked to our interns yesterday to, to, to test out you know if you're if you're our college intern today you don't really remember the old-fashioned light bulb very well uh, because you've never bought one <laughs> in your life uh, you've only bought the the new kind but um, the uh, uh, there's a, a, a classic thing to understand about how this kind of crony capitalism, corporatism works. So obviously, GE was—I I didn't go back and look this up, but I suspect they were the single largest seller of light bulbs. Certainly, they, they were, were one of the biggest. Right, sellers Right. They, of light
1: they bulbs. were. Manu- I mean, they were manufacturing and they were manufacturing them stateside and yes, in
0: America, that's a valuable point. Too.
1: And the what they did was the, pro- the problem with the light with old-fashioned incandescent light bulbs from a corporate perspective if you're general electric and you're selling a pile of them is that the technology is so well understood that you can only sell them f- and make trivial amounts of profit on yeah, each, on each there's one heavy was,
0: competition
1: heavy heavy competition it's all very simple if you try to extract too much profit somebody else might jump in and you know uh you know Easily. westinghouse westinghouse might jump in and and make uh make their own and so what the what ML and and ge their sort of clever idea they thought was aha we will lobby the government to outlaw the light bulbs that we are making and we will then make the new expensive higher margin more patented technology that you then get a temporary exclusive monopoly over less competition we will, we will use those, you know, we will make those and we will sell those at a higher profit margin. We'll make more money on each one we sell. And that will, that will increase our, our margins, it'll increase our profits, it'll strengthen our
0: business. And let's point out that one of the ways they increased their profits was by dropping their labor costs because the new light bulbs were not produced in America. They were produced abroad with cheaper labor. So, and
1: and and before we think that Imelt is some, you know, honorable defender of, of free trade, in a 60 Minutes interview in 2010, he basically endorsed what we would today call economic nationalism. Uh, his exact quote was because they were they were discussing uh, trains. And he says, quote, everybody in Germany roots for Siemens, everybody in Japan roots for Toshiba, everyone in China roots for China Southern Rail. I want you to say win GE. Uh, the, you know, so if he's, you know. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm pretty pro, I'm pretty pro free trade, and I don't have an objection to importing consumer products. Uh, but that's not what Imelt was doing. <laughs> uh, no. What well, what Imelt was doing was taking advantage of government policy to outlaw the product he was making in the United States, uh, not to increase consumer. Not to increase consumer benefit,
0: yep. and so you folks in Kentucky who used to work at those GE light bulb plants, too bad for you, uh, with Obama's cooperation. And I, I but, well I really, with
1: the, with Obama and W I, yes. and and Harry and Harry Reid and Harry Reid and, and, and Pelosi. The, it, yep.
0: So so the real the, the, the I, I think it's can't be emphasized enough the the enemy of that kind of you know, of the this worst kind of big business behavior. The enemy is not regulation. In fact, it is regulation that enables it. The enemy is competition. When he had to compete with the old light bulb with lots of other companies in a nice open market, he couldn't his, do this. His, pro- the-
1: his, his, his profits, his projected profits, were a lot lower than he thought they were going to be. Yeah,
0: his profits were and, lower, and the Kentucky wages were better. Right, and
1: and again, you see how— influence, you know, to get an idea of kind of how an influencer network works, where, how big business works with big philanthropy and works with big, big nonprofit to, uh, to enhance corporate welfare. Uh, you know, there was this thing called the, the bulb man was backed by this thing called the appliance standards awareness project.
0: Let's say that again. I bet most people have not heard of that somehow.
1: Appliance standards awareness project. So you have the american council for an energy efficient economy which is one of your standard uh trade associations of a number of businesses and there's of course the old i think it was from i think of from adam smith you know two businessmen don't get into a don't get into a room uh, other than to conspire against the public um you have the i think uh,
0: he said three i <laughs> go
1: ahead uh you have the alliance to save energy whoever they are the Energy Foundation, which is one of the largest environmentalist grant-making donors that there is, that is dedicated most of the la- most of recent its recent activity to outlawing the production of natural gas in the United States,
0: and itself is a pass-through for lots of other big enviro funders like the Hewlett Foundation, the Packard Foundation, Pew and whatnot.
1: And then you have the Natural Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC. Long Leonardo,
0: a pillar of the Enviro left,
1: the big—I mean, them and the Sierra Club are big are big environmentalists. Uh, the Big Green, the, the Big Green, the biggest, uh, most prominent, most well-connected. Leonardo DiCaprio and his private jet sit on Natural Resources Defense Council's board. Um, They—that's the 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 kind of networking and involvement that goes on here.
0: Yes, and then, but in a properly fitting irony, did this wonderful dream of high-margin light bulbs produced with cheap foreign labor cutting out the uh, competition, did that work out well for GE? No. Uh, The the lighting division uh, of GE
1: was sold off—it was up for sale as of last month.
0: Yes, so it didn't even work on its own terms. Uh, in, the, in, in the, well, not very, in, in essentially a decade later, which right. isn't that long term. Um, so uh, let's move to another wonderful Jeff Immelt, General Electric influence peddling, crony capitalism scam uh, that comes up uh, in '09 after Obama is now in the White House. Uh, I think it involves trains and Senate wives, if I remember correctly.
1: Uh, well, former senators. Uh, the, so the Obama administration, one of its big things when it comes in, they're doing the big, the big stimulus. Supposedly, all this uh, government spending on, infra- you know, on so-called an inf- infrastructure and on various pork, is going to put people back to work, and then they're going to spend in the economy, and that that's somehow going to fix everything. Um, and part of that was a massive inv- that the Obama administration proposed and mostly didn't get was a massive expansion of high-speed rail. And it should not surprise anybody that General Electric, which makes railway locomotives, or made railway locomotives, we'll get to that, uh, was uh, very interested in the expansion of rail- of passenger railways in the I United bet States. I they even
0: expressed an interest in it.
1: Uh, they expressed an interest. And the way that you express interest in something in Washington is you hire the wife of the former Senate Democratic leader to lobby for it, which is what GE did. Uh, Linda Linda Daschle, who is the wife of Tom Daschle, former U.S. Senator from South Dakota, uh, Senate Democratic leader uh, up through 2004. And at the time, Daschle was up for consideration as Health and Human Services Secretary. He ran
0: into a spot of trouble, as I recall. I believe it was tax-related. Yes, something about uh, uh, cheating on taxes or not paying taxes or something, which, given the the billions upon billions of tax increases that the man passed for the rest of America, seems a little surprising, but uh, that's how it goes in D.C. Uh,
1: and, and how it also goes is that even if you don't get your giant expansion of high-speed rail, uh, the consolation prize is that in 2011, President Obama appoints you to lead the President's Council on Jobs and Competitiveness—
0: which fits, given that you are actually anti-competition and how are your jobs doing at your own plants? <laughs> uh,
1: they were declining. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm, that seems a little odd. But uh, again, this is the, the, the big point here that needs to be repeated endlessly is uh, because uh, all of our poor youth out there who think, well, socialism doesn't sound so bad. Maybe that, you know, that'd be nice. We'd all be fair and, and friendly to everybody. Well, uh, it is not. Another part of Capitalism 101 is that big business is not the driver of jobs in the American economy. It's Now, I don't want to have big businesses shut down uh, arbitrarily or nationalized or any of those other wonderful things that socialist paradises like Venezuela do, but... We should remember it isn't big business that drives jobs. There are a lot of yeah, jobs. Yeah, no. Tra- in big traditionally, business, but... traditionally,
1: traditionally, it hasn't been. And yeah, it's to the extent and to the ex- and and to, well, and to the extent that in recent years that has turned more towards big business, that's actually a grave concern. Uh, the amount of entrepreneurial endeavor that is going on, to the extent it is declining, that's bad. To the extent that we are relying on the GE's and the uh, uh, and the Boeing's and the General Motorses of the world to create new jobs, not just to maintain their kind of existing jobs base and the is uh, sort of a base sort of a base yeah, load. It's sort of a base load for the economy. The more that we're counting on them to be the creative creative engine, that's not good
0: yes and in fact GE itself is a great example of that because Thomas Edison did not start out a super rich guy running a huge company Thomas Edison was a brilliant entrepreneur who built a big company and that's that's a fine natural thing in a in a free economy um, but you always need the next Thomas Edison right. you need um, you need to, you need to find
1: the next
0: you need to find
1: new and innovative ways to do to solve the problems that people have and then you know, we all obviously want this. This is where, again, recently, uh, you know, may have noted, may have heard of Theranos, uh, the uh, what was ostensibly an innovative new blood testing company that the CEO, or now ousted CEO of, has just been indicted by the Department of Justice for basically the whole thing being a fraud. Uh, other in the. Another fun fact for our listeners, of course, Elizabeth Holmes, the ousted CEO now under indictment, was also a White House, an Obama White House uh, visitor and honoree.
0: Yes, the uh, so proving that perhaps government is not a wonderful picker of that, winners and losers. It's
1: certainly no better, no better a picker than no. any other than any other human human endeavor.
0: When uh, you said uh, a minute ago that the that. So we're talking about this uh, high-speed rail scam that the the big businesses and big government were gonna were gonna hatch, and luckily the taxpayer dodged that bullet for the most part. And what happened to GE and its uh, railway business?
1: Well, in GE's fire sale of its divisions, uh, which has been ongoing this year, they merged it with one of their rivals, uh, and and cashed and cashed it out because they're having massive cash flow problems.
0: Yep. So well now let's switch to yet another wonderful crony capitalist. Uh, well, let's call it crony capitalist entrepreneurialism. <laughs> so Jeff Immelt's crony is entrepreneurialism. Example would also be, I believe, uh, a an energy tax. How did that work out?
1: So the during the first two years of the Obama administration, call it the legislative period of the Obama administration, there were. Obviously, there was Obamacare, which, which passed and went into effect. There was a labor union favor bill that failed, and then there was what, what was called euphemistically cap-and-trade. Functionally, it was an energy tax. Uh, what it would have done was capped the total amount of of, of emissions that could be emitted, and that company, big companies, uh, utilities would then trade these would have these allowances that they would be allotted and they would trade them for money you know if you had more allowances than you used you could sell your, your leftovers uh, ge lobbied heavily for this uh, their branding was well we're very environmentalist oh we care so much we we have eco i believe the term was eco imagination we're, we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have eco imagination well, they Some were,
0: uh, Madison Avenue firm got good money for that one.
1: Uh, yes, and they were going to be
0: paid out
1: of the profits that GE thought it could make as the broker of these cre- of these credits. Uh, they had established an affiliate. They had partnered with a couple other companies and formed this affiliate, Greenhouse Gas Services, which would have had whack- what was the Title of the bill was Waxman-Markey after the two guy after the two uh, members of the House who sponsored it. Uh, if this Waxman-Markey energy tax had gone into effect, uh, greenhouse gas services, the GE GE partnership subsidiary thing, would have been the largest t- trader, would have been the largest broker in these offsets, and they would have stood to make a considerable amount of money. Uh,
0: set up by the uh, by by what I guess one could say a. A pseudo market created by government, really. And uh, now, my friend uh, Michael Barone, Almanac of American Politics, has a marvelous term for this kind of carbon offset scam. Um, he calls it indulgences. And since I'm the the, right. the wild-eyed if, if, if you're if
1: you're if uh, you're if you're Leonardo DiCaprio and you have, uh, let's call them international travel obligations. <laughs> Uh, But you're also trying to be an environmentalist. You're you're sitting on the board of the Natural Resources Defense Council. Uh, What do you do? Because last I checked, the only way to get to Australia or Bora Bora or Europe or where... The only way to to get... Tahiti. The only way to get from Los Angeles to Cannes is to go into a metal tube up in the sky and explode a bunch of dinosaurs. Uh, And so you have to... The, this this troubles your conscience, so because you are Leonardo DiCaprio, or it troubles your PR agent, or it troubles your agent, uh, and but because you are Leonardo DiCaprio and you have more money than uh you can go to your friends. Uh, I believe at one point Al Gore was a dealer in these offsets, um, and you buy the you know and you buy these offsets. You know they they go plant supposedly they go plant trees or they go do something you know they go do something to. To supposedly offset the amount of carbon dioxide and whatever else comes out of the tailpipe of a jet, uh, the and that this supposed you know and that this supposedly settles you, but I mean, is it really different than you know paying paying the priest to to get out of <laughs>
0: <laughs> for, for purgatory? Yes, for, for time off purgatory. So that's that's what I was going to say. Let's uh, another big picture point that needs to be needs to be stressed is that the environmentalism that entrepreneurs like Mr. Immelt uh, are making use of, you know, it is, it is a religion. It has sin, namely carbon emissions. Uh, it has indulgences for your time in purgatory because of your sins, the carbon, off- the, the carbon offsets you buy. Uh, it, it has an apocalypse uh, because we're all going to die from global warming, if it ever actually comes around. Uh, and it has a priesthood, and well, I suppose it has a pope in Al Gore, and certainly a priesthood in NRDC and folks like that. So, uh, and it's it's though they know, love to ultimate, say they're and, about science, but in fact, they rarely they like to talk about one single data point. Well, sure, sure, and and, and, the, and well, science. and the other and
1: the other thing, I mean, if if you want to come at it from a um, a more skeptical view you know you have you have ritualized you know the the environmentalists have a ritual have ritualized can't you know we're going to we're going to cut our carbon emissions, we're going to cut our carbon emissions we're going to cut our carbon emissions and then they get in their Audis and drive around and then they you know I mean my my my, my liberal friends all care very much about global warming uh, and they also to the extent they are able travel to Europe and travel to South America and travel to travel to Asia Again, how do you get there?
0: <laughs> yes. Well, and uh, the, another great big point on all this that should be made is the folks who, uh, what? W- sorry, the, the devotees, the votaries of this particular religion uh, would be shocked and appalled if somebody said, you know, you're really just helping big businesses that are lining their pockets, uh, but as often happens in public policy or virtually always happens in public policy, there's not a, truly a way to be against business no. uh, in public policy fights. It's a question of which businesses are. Which you business? Going to do, be which helping? business?
1: Which business do you favor, and which fact? You know, which faction do you favor? Uh, and if you are the GE Political Action Committee, circa two thousand and nine, you're writing things and you're fundraising solicitation letters. So, GE, like many large companies, uh, raises money from its management staff. Uh, For a political action committee because there are part of our campaign finance law is that If I am a if I am a company if I am a if I am a business the I cannot take the business's Money and write a check to a candidate. That's illegal What I can do is ask all the managers to chip in, you know 25 bucks 100 bucks 150 bucks into a separate pool and write a check in the name of the company's political action committee, out of that pool, so GE is writing one of those, and it says, among other things, and I quote: "If this bill, meaning meaning Waxman-Markey, is enacted into law, it would benefit many GE businesses. These corporate packs, you know, I, again, the, the the left likes to likes to believe or likes to pretend to believe that corporate packs are a an unmitigated pool of money."
0: For, uh, for Republicans, and right wing, and 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 for yeah,
1: for Republicans and other right and other climate denial
0: votes. and things like that.
1: Uh, no, they break. You know, if you look at the breakdowns, corporate PACs don't usually, with the exception of some highly ideological companies, get much beyond the seventy 70%, percent, the seventy thirty split.
0: And that's high, and that and, right, and that, more right, and that, and that it's would more be like fifty-five, 45, yeah, six, 60, 60, 40.
1: sixty, sixty, forty is closer to is closer to the sort of average for a big public, a big public company or a big public association, something like the National Association of Realtors. Whereas, uh, when it comes to you know ideological, some someone ideologically motivated, like a labor union, then you're looking 99 95.5- ninety-five-five. Uh, and that's and then again that's because businesses are using their PAC money not to benefit the free market not to benefit or a particular party or, or yeah not to not to benefit any any particular party other than them other than their bottom line
0: yes uh, so but you know somehow I'm betting that the National Resource Defense Council emails to its membership and those it was trying to get money out of didn't mention that when you helped them with this critical fight, you were lining the pockets oh, sure. of sure. Yeah, Jeff no. It's oil, oil,
1: com- oil, oil companies are evil. They're so evil. They're so evil. But please do not look behind the curtain and see that we are joined at the hip with General Electric.
0: Yep. Now, for folks who want to uh, look into the history a bit more um, on this kind of thing, the uh, the lobbyist concocted coalition... Uh, For that Waxman-Markey bills, uh, its little coalition was called the U.S. Climate Action Partnership. Uh, That, I'm almost certain, is now defunct. But uh, if you go to capitalresearch.org and look up USCAP, Climate Action Partnership, uh, you'll uh, find a lot of fascinating tidbits about all this. Or you can also search for one of our longer reports on it, which had the uh, catchier title of The Green Money Machine. Um, which has much of the, even more of the, the sort of history that we're laying out here. Well, even these things, we've now gone through. I've lost track. Four different uh, at, uh, least, th- at crony least three, at scams, least three, three or major... four capital scams. But there's yet more friendly relations between giant big business GE and the Obama administration. Uh, one was uh, out of the energy field and into the bioethics field. So tell sure. us about that.
1: Uh, so in the mid. In the mid two thousands, the there was a great big fight over human embryonic stem cell research, which is controversial because uh, it involves the destruction of human embryos, which people who believe that life begins at conception take a, take as a very serious moral very serious moral decision. Uh, whereas people who don't, people who uh, people who are you know maybe for abortion take as an in, as a a decision that doesn't matter, and any help that you can give uh, that you can give get from them would be at no co- at no moral or ethical cost. Uh, the Bush administration very st- tightly restricted federal funding for that research. Uh, the Obama administration, one of the first things it did was open the floodgates for it.
0: Um, and who got some of the floodgates of that money?
1: LGE well, was creating a part created a partnership with uh, a drug mit- with a, a medical. Industry uh, concern to get into the market, to get into the market, to then make and make products that used the fruits of this research.
0: Yep, and then yet another angle where uh, big government has been friendly with the particular big business that we're talking about this time is a particularly uh, uh, notorious DC entity. Right the so the so the Ex-Im ge- Bank. yeah
1: the the gentleman who coined the term for profit arm of the Obama administration uh, Tim Carney of the Washington Examiner uh, is is very interested in this thing called the Export-Import Bank of the United States and what the Export-Import Bank of the United States does is it takes taxpayer money loans it to the consumers of a big big American I mean functionally big American business exports the big winners from it the biggest one is Boeing by a, substantial, by a substantial margin, but another big one is General Electric. And so, I mean, I mentioned earlier that Immelt had a direct line not only to President Obama, but also to President Trump. And at one point early in Trump's first year in office, Immelt and Trump had a meeting, you know, had a had a personal private meeting. We don't know what they discussed, but not too long after that, Trump expressed a desire to right now the export import bank is kind of tied up in limbo uh,
0: yeah highly controversial right, whether to continue to right, exist right yeah they
1: there there have been a couple of house votes on whether to get get rid of it entirely none of they haven't passed yet there's i think there's like a there's like no quorum on its board so they can't make any they can't actually do anything even though they technically still exist uh, so Shortly so sometime after this meeting with Imelt, who stood to benefit from the restarting of sub of the subsidies from the export import bank, uh Trump said that he wanted to restart the subsidies flowing at the export import bank. Uh,
0: Thus far, that's not come to pass at least it has it,
1: yeah the some sometime sometimes there are benefits to a White House in what can only be described as crisis
0: <laughs> the um well, so, uh, so thus, uh, d- during Immelt's tenure as head of GE, uh, he wasn't able to get t- uh, too much practical effect out of the Trump administration. But to go back to the, the years with uh, his good buddy uh, Obama, uh, tell us a little bit more about that special friendship.
1: So after the financial crisis in 2008, 2008- so you know, Obama gets elected after the financial crisis in two thousand eight, and he comes in in two thousand nine. And as he's about to take office, or shortly after he takes office, within within a week of his taking office, uh, email puts puts out this kind of open letter to shareholders and ultimately the public because it ultimately gets out. And he said that GE was well positioned for the reset, coming reset of the global economy. That the the free market model of the 1980s to 2008 was, was coming to an end and that now we were going to have you know, state capitalism driven by the state for the good of the public uh, and that GE would be a natural partner was his term in this reset
0: and by, by the way, re- reset. In 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 hindsight, the other great reset was, of course, with Russia in the uh, yeah, and United that States. ended. And that ended that ended, didn't ju- didn't that ended well.
1: just about as well as GE's reset. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: uh, nah. So what? Uh, one of you mentioned one of the perks that uh, that this natural partnership. Some right. some of us he, might right, consider right, yeah. he g- he gets, unnatural. But right. He
1: gets he gets a well, and and that's actually interesting to build out. You know, ML gets the seat on Obama's Council on Jobs and Competitiveness, uh, even as GE domestic employment has fallen by 20% over his, over his tenure. Um, and that got some on the left, you know, Mother Jones, The Nation. These are, you know, kind of the big, the hardcore, the lefty true believer types uh, to say, hey, wait a minute, why is Obama shacking up with uh, one of the, you know, Biggest, you know, ostensible capitalists, biggest corporate titan. I guess corporate titan would probably be a yes. better descriptor of, of Mr. ML. Uh, why is he joining himself at the hip to one of these big corporate, big corporate titan guys?
0: And they seem to think this was wildly inconsistent with his, uh, pub, his political philosophy. And
1: it was while it was wildly inconsistent with the political philosophy of the nation and of Mother Jones, who I think we can reasonably call socialist or social democratic. Uh, Obama isn't really a socialist. Uh, he's a corporatist. He doesn't care if Jeff Immelt's making a lot making a lot of money, if GE's making a lot of money, if the Weinstein Company is making a lot of money. Um, as, to name another very to name to name, to name another 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 of his campaign contributors. Um, as long as they are making money doing the bidding of the state, doing the bidding of his government. So when GE comes along and says, you know, we want your, en- your energy tax policy. We want your high-speed rail policy. We want your uh, human embryonic stem cell research policy. And it's going to make us money, but we want your policy. Obama, you know, Obama, a corporatist, doesn't care. Yes. That's that's you know it, it in the you know, to him that is doing well by doing good as good is defined by his government, by the state.
0: Yes and so and there's a couple things there. Uh, again to, to remind our listeners who think perhaps that socialism sounds like pretty nice, not so bad. you know there's mean, big business and then there's then there's benevolent socialism. Well, it doesn't actually work that way because one reason that big business and big government get together is because if I am big government, if I've got the levers at the top of the government pile, um, it is much easier for me to exercise those levers if they're just a few big entities out there that I'm really controlling and that are dependent on me. I mean, this is the point. This is why we call it corporate welfare. It causes dependency by the businesses, just like regular old-fashioned welfare causes dependencies in families. And in neither case uh, is that good for the country. And it's not even good for the quote-unquote beneficiaries because we keep saying through all this, right. you, GE you has get, not you, prospered from all this. Right. Right. You get. The, you get.
1: It become. You become. What you're trying to do is to. You know. You know. You're, you know. If you're. GE, you know your company is sclerotic; that it's old, it's bureaucratic, it is, you know, it's invested in some things that are passing in and out of of use. You know, you probably got a couple of buggy whip, buggy whip type, obsolete or obsolescent uh, entities in your in your corporate structure. But what you know is that if you can get your friend Mr. Obama or your friend Mr. Trump to either subsidize you I mean, or to regulate os- or to, competition, or to use regulation to ossify the rules such that your sclerotic bureaucratic entity sur- can you know survives because no innovative competitor can challenge it. That's when you know that that's how you think again. That's your survival tactic. And of course, in GE's case,
0: uh, it has
1: not paid off the way that that ML bet, and of course, it
0: ultimately cost Imelt his job. And we let's add one more uh, piece of the puzzle of how this works. You know, regulation. You know, again, the the, the naive young may think, oh well, regulation are, is going to keep pollution away or is or whatever it may be. But what we uh, what we end up having. Typically, is no. Actually, regulation benefits very big companies for multiple reasons. For one thing, they can game the regulatory system because they can afford multiple hundred thousand right. dollars. If
1: you can afford, if you can afford Tom Daschle's wife as your lobbyist, you probably have a substantial influence on both regula- regulatory decision making and even straight up writing straight up writing legislation. Yes. Uh, you know we we have we have heard we have heard stories of you know bill tag you know legislative language being slipped under doorways
0: yes by corporate by, groups by uh, by lobbyists just like now to be fair and, and the environmental right. left nonprofits as well but this, this I mean, is the I mean, whole
1: point i one, one, fav- one of my favorite things uh, in in California so California does does puts in has very strict term limits uh, to, to keep the, the special interest influence out of government that they, you know, you don't go to Sacramento and, you know, as in the, in the old saying, you know, go native. You'd become a creature of Sacramento, right? It's a problem is that there's an existing influence industry. And what the effect has been is that the influence industry has grown and the state legislature has become, has become weak, the, the democratically responsive legislature has become weak. So if you go into the California legislative information system, if you look up a California bill, you can see, yeah, I, th- I believe the, the term is, there. the patron, I think, is the legislator who actually introduces it. And then the sponsor is the special interest group that wrote it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so you can see the, you know, these laws that have been written by, that have been written by a special interest group. And the same thing, again, the same thing goes on in every, state, you know, Probably yeah. every state house and certainly in Washington, D.C. And
0: if I'm the young Thomas Edison who has a new and better light bulb, I can't afford to hire Tom Daschle's wife. Right. The other thing on the regulatory side is, uh, yes, regula- regulations burden business. But again, Jeff Immelt at GE can hire another dozen accountants. Uh, and middle managers and the rest to deal with the hassle and red tape of those regulations. It's hurting his bottom line some, but at least he can do it. Where again right. and he, can, young, and he can make it and he can make it back
1: when your when the smaller company either goes out of business, has to has to sell itself to GE. Yes, you
0: know, maybe the, maybe the new
1: maybe the new innovator can't keep up with the regulations, so he goes to GE and says buy me and yes. he has to sell out for less than his company ultimately is worth.
0: So yes, in both both dealing with the regulations and gaming the regulations with lobbyists, uh, uh, big government is helping big business. So uh, again, the the folks who love and want to defend capitalism, like the the Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman, whose free to choose book I highly recommend, uh, one of his central points about uh, his not liking big government and and. Trying to warn everyone that big government is a danger is precisely because it usually does get captured by big business. And again, they both have a reason, both parties of the seduction mm. have a reason to desire the consummation. And, and
1: I think and I think in kind of in closing, we can look at the consequences in GE itself, that GE thought, okay, we'll tie ourselves to big government, we will push a, you know this reset, of the global economy from one that is market driven to one that is state driven, and that we will crowd out our competition and we'll be able to profit as a monopolist. And for reasons both political, when in 2010 the Republicans take over the House of Representatives, their energy tax that they've the the, cap and the the cap and trade waxman markey energy tax that GE really need really wants, really needs for their 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 business model. (laughs) uh, that die, you know, that dies, that stops when, uh, when the, uh, you know, Trump administration is in disorder and can't focus on making sure the subsidies start flowing through the export import bank again, that you know, that stalls out GE's government-directed business model. Uh, and, and as they, you know, and again, as they've tied themselves, They've been out—they're also getting out-competed.
0: Yep. There is no business in America since 2000 that has spent more money on lobbyists, uh, benefiting the realtors of Great Falls, enormously, no doubt, but—
1: Benefiting benefiting the realtors of Great Falls, uh, the residents of Great Falls, and the source of that information, Mr. Tim Carney, who is one of the best reporters on lobbying and influence in Washington, D.C., working right now.
0: (laughs) Yes, and helping Tim Carney build his brand, but— on the other hand to get back to how we started all this there has been no there's about roughly 30 companies on the dow jones industrial average that uh which does get updated from time to time nobody in that time period uh, since 2000 no none of those companies has done as bad as ge so so let's maybe the the good uh wrap up for the session this time would be you know if you out there in wonderful uh, America. The, the flyover land, not DC. If you want to get rich, if you want to uh, make your mark, don't aspire to be uh, another Jeff Immelt, head of a giant corporation, or aspire to be one of his, no doubt, 100 plus vice presidents of various types, juniors and seniors, and this, that, and the other. Or a spouse of a senator. Or a spouse of a senator. <laughs> a of a senator. Uh, but be a Thomas Alva Edison young man, be an entrepreneur, uh, f- uh, by yourself or with with a team, be an entrepreneur, and find uh, a way to provide a great good or service, preferably one that nobody else is doing at the moment. Uh, focus on that and focus on making your customers, treating your customers spectacularly well. Um, and that is the way to greatness, not uh, this kind of nasty, D.C., swampy, influence, influence peddling, influence peddling uh, uh, scam. So... That is our show for this week. If you are listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, you should know that we broadcast a live video version at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and on YouTube. You can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. Uh, And if you're watching that video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.